Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardamus, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. I'm here today with Alex, and Alex is actually one of our customer service managers here at Teach for the Heart, and she's also the creator of Genius Fishes, and she's here to talk with us about a topic that I think is important any time of the year, but can also be really helpful at the end of the year when maybe you feel like, oh, you're struggling and you just need some fresh ideas. And we're talking today about how to accommodate or differentiate for special ed students or for any struggling learners who are in your classroom. Alex has some awesome ideas, and I know you're really going to find them helpful. So let's jump into the interview. I'm here today with Alex Seip to talk a little bit about how to make accommodations for your struggling students, whether it's students on an IEP, whether it's a special education student that's been placed in your class, or simply just a student who's struggling um, in your subject. And so thank you so much, Alex, for being here. No problem. Hello, everybody. And for those of you that don't know, Alex also works um, as one of our customer experience managers here at Teach for the Heart. And so if you email us, she's one of the ones that um, helps get back to you. But Alex, can you share a little bit about your background um, and, and your experience with teaching? Sure. So I taught at a junior high for three and a half years, and I taught special day class, um, which means just special education students. And I taught social studies, seventh and eighth grade, math, and then English for seventh and eighth grade. And um, yeah, it was really great. The students would move between me and another special education teacher and all their academic classes were special education. And then they'd spend PE and an elective um, in general education. And then uh, I taught a year elementary education as a resource specialist. So that was a different kind of position where half of the day I was going into general education and helping the special education students in those classrooms. And then for the second half of the day, they would come to us for small groups to get more individualized help. So I've kind of done... Um, you know, where it's just special education, but then moving toward inclusion where we're helping the students in general education classrooms. And that's why I'm so excited to talk with you today because you have experience both specifically with special ed and also with what it looks like in a regular classroom. And so you can help those of us who teach in, you know, just a regular classroom. And we have students that are either specifically labeled as special ed or just, you know, we see that they have some learning difficulties or they're on an IEP and try to make some accommodations for them. So what is the first accommodation that you recommend? The first accommodation I recommend is graphic organizers. So I use these all the time as a special education teacher. Um, I would look at what the general education students were doing, what kind of essays they were writing, and then I would come up with graphic organizers to help my special education students do that kind of writing, whether it was a persuasive essay or compare and contrast. Uh, I found that it really didn't work to hand special education students a blank piece of paper and just give them a prompt and tell them to write. That's really, really overwhelming to them, and they don't know where to start. So 
I'd always give them a graphic organizer to help them organize their ideas. And then um, a lot of times I would match those to sentence frames, which I'll talk about next. But graphic organizers can be used in almost every class. You can use them to organize the steps in solving math problems. I used to give my students one for word problems, and it showed the different ways that they could solve word problems, whether it was turning the words into numbers and writing an equation or drawing a picture. They can also be used to research different aspects of a historical figure's life. Um, they can keep track of experiment results in science. And this doesn't require any additional teaching time because you just make the graphic organizers ahead of time. They're available to all your students and whoever needs them can use them. They also give students great visuals to remember information. And I actually suggest you use the same ones as often as possible with different assignments so they, students can get used to certain formats. And then the hope is one day they'll make their own graphic organizers for themselves when they need it. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you say making graphic organizers, you're not saying necessarily that you know, you're making one for every single topic or every single lesson, like you're making these general ones that can then be like used over and over again for a variety of different topics. Am I understanding that right? Yes, exactly. So for example, you know, a five paragraph essay is always a five paragraph essay and it always follows a certain format, mm -hmm. like introduction, three paragraphs about the body and then conclusion. So something really general like that, they can use you know, multiple times in a school year on multiple assignments. Awesome. All right. So the first accommodation is graphic organizers. What's the next one? The next one is sentence frames and sentence starters. So you can use these with graphic organizers or separately. So for example, I used to have my students research historical figures and they'd fill out a graphic organizer that had labels like birth date, childhood, major accomplishments. And then I'd give my students a paper with sentence frames in an essay format that said blank was born on blank, period, blank's childhood was spent blank, and then the students would just match up information from their graphic organizer to the sentence frames. So that example is for a student that's, you know, really struggling and having some challenges, but you can provide more or less sentence frames depending on the child's level. Some might just need a sentence starter at the beginning of every paragraph, and then they can write the rest of the paragraph independently. And then I'd also use sentence starters and frames for encouraging discussions. So you can have them posted in the room and require students to use them when answering questions. Or you can pass out a list of them to discussion groups to kind of help them frame their conversation. So with so many states adopting common core standards, sentence starters and frames that require students to use evidence are very helpful. For example, I think blank because page blank says blank. And then again, these don't require much additional teaching time. You can just post them, review them occasionally, and then pass them out to special education students when needed, and it will help them all year long. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and yeah, I can just see how those could be used in just a variety of ways, and particularly with those students that, you know, sometimes we don't know what to do. The student's staring at this paper, like, how do we get them started? And that's just such a smart way to do that. And and you mentioned um, you actually have some of these available at your TPT store. Is that correct? Yes. So I have a Teachers Pay Teachers store called Genius Fishes. And it's named that after the Albert Einstein quote, everybody is a genius, 
But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid Mm -hmm. because it's just about how um, different students need different things, but um, everybody has different intelligences. We just need to give the students a way to express those intelligences and kind of think outside the box. So I have a lot of writing projects on there that have graphic organizers and sentence frames to help students write more complicated essays, um, kind of give them a starting point. Awesome. So if you want to, you know, check those out, uh, you can head to Genius Fishes on TPT, or we also link to them at teachfortheheart.com slash accommodations is where you'll find all the links and notes from this episode. All right. So first we said graphic organizers. Second was sentence frames and sentence starters. Uh, What's the third accommodation? The third one is summarizing. So this is an activity that will help all your students, but especially struggling learners. So for example, if you teach a class that requires note taking, have your students pause when they've written about one page of notes and have them write a one sentence summary with the main idea. Um, When reading novels, I'd have my students write a one-sentence summary after each chapter. So this requires them to immediately review the information they've learned and kind of give themselves a nugget of information to anchor their learning. They can write one-sentence summaries at the end of class about what they learned that day. And then I also used to use this with discussion groups when I realized my students weren't listening to each other. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely happens. So how'd that work? So after discussions, I would randomly call on students to give me a one-sentence summary of what their partner had said. And it was shocking how many students couldn't answer the first time I did this. (laughs) But then as I continued during it, they learned, oh, we really need to listen to each other. And then I left the one-sentence starters because nothing extra is planned ahead of time. You just add a few extra minutes to your lesson. And then again, you combine this, you can combine the written summaries with sentence starters for students who need it. Um, you know, this chapter was about blank. Yeah, that's and that's so smart. And this is a great idea, too. Um, you know, in an effort when I was teaching our school, you know, kind of had an effort of encouraging writing and literacy across all content areas. So I taught middle school math and we were supposed to incorporate writing. And at first I was like, how are we going to do this? But things like this are incredibly helpful. You know, just asking them even in a math class or a science class, uh, you know, to say, you know, write one sentence of what we learned today or how to solve quadratic equations, write, write a sentence, you know, summarizing that. And it's amazing how much just asking students to write out what they learned in, in, increases their comprehension and their retention and also g- just gradually improves their writing skills over time because they, they, writing becomes less scary and just more part of everyday life. So, Yeah, definitely. All right. So summarizing was number three. What's the fourth accommodation? The fourth one is color coding. So this is especially helpful for visual learners, and it can be used in everything. So you can write out the steps of a math problem and use a different marker for each step. So I used to do red the first step, orange the second step, and kind of go through the colors of the rainbow just because it's an order of colors that, Mm. you know, students are familiar with. You can also, for example, use a green highlighter to highlight vocabulary words, a pink highlighter for math formulas. So if students can use notes on the test and they're looking for a specific formula, they can look through and just look at the pink highlights. Um, And then for something like social studies, they can use a blue highlighter when they're taking notes about a person, yellow highlighter for an event. 
They can use a different color for each character if they're taking notes about a novel. And then they can even make themselves a key before they start taking notes on a particular chapter and then make it very specific to the topic. So for example, they could decide everything about George Washington I'm going to put in blue, everything about the Patriots is going to be in yellow, everything about the Loyalists is going to be in green. So they can make themselves a little key before they start taking notes on the topic. And then this just really helps them complete assignments or take tests because they can find information in their notes so much more quickly by looking for a specific color. Yeah, and this is another great strategy. You know, as, as you're talking about these, these are great strategies to teach all of our students and not necessarily to require every student to color code, but to maybe require students to do it once or twice um, and then say, hey, you know, this is one way that you can learn that helps some people. If this wasn't helpful for you, okay, you don't have to do it anymore. But if it was, you should keep doing it. And I think especially in upper upper elementary and middle school, it's so important that we be actively teaching these type of study skills to all our students and helping them learn what works for them. So yeah, really I cool. definitely think a lot of teachers kind of assume that students know how to study or that they have study skills, but for most of the time, they really don't and they have to be taught it just the same way that they're taught the topic. Absolutely, for sure. All right, so what's our final accommodation? So I call this one learning goals, and it's one of the easiest to implement. So after passing out an assignment, if you notice your special education students are struggling or taking longer than usual, you can shorten the work they need to complete. You can cross out more challenging questions. Now for this one, you need to make sure it's in line with grading policy or their IEP, and you're still getting a good sample of their work. Um, but in some curriculums, like sometimes in math, students are required to solve 20 of the same types of problems for practice. And then it might take a special education student twice as long to solve them. So you can cross out half so he only does 10 and you still get you know, a good work sample from him. But then you can even use a strategy if you're not going to shorten the child's work. Just if they're having trouble getting started, you can draw a line behind the first five problems or fold the paper over so the student can only see the first two questions. And then tell them you'll be back in five minutes to check just those problems or just those questions. Because a lot of times they just get overwhelmed by everything that they see on a page. But knowing, oh, I'm just going to do a few and then my teacher's going to check, make sure I'm on the right track, can really help them kind of get started. And it also helps you because they're not doing the entire paper wrong. You're checking in on them, making sure that they're on the right track, and then they're not practicing doing it wrong, you know, 20 times. That's such a smart idea. Once again, those students that are just staring, and sometimes we tend to think, oh, man, they like they don't care, or they just don't want to try, but sometimes they're just overwhelmed. Like, they, it's just it's just too much, and something just as simple as folding the paper over, you know, just, just do these couple. Um, just such a smart idea to help them less be less stressed and, and be able to make some progress. That's awesome. Yeah, I've seen some teachers also take manila folders and cut them into thirds. And then they just, they put the paper in there and then just open the first flap. So the students can only see the first one third of the paper. Mm, okay. And then when they finish that, they can close it and um, open the, the second, second third. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, just less for the students to look at can make a huge difference sometimes. <laughs> so cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing these accommodations. Do you have any other, you know, final tips for students, uh, for teachers, especially that are dealing with, you know, special education students or students with IEPs? 
I mean, definitely get to know your student. If your student has an IEP, look at past accommodations on it, see what's worked for the student, and um, don't be afraid to be creative, think outside the box. You can tell the special education teacher what's really working for your student, and they can add it specifically to the IEP. Um, So just don't be afraid to kind of think outside the box and figure out what really helps the student and just give some of these a try. I mean, just maybe just start with one and get comfortable with it and used to it. And then, you know, think about implementing another one. You don't have to try them all at once. Oh, yes. Great advice there for sure. And of course, if you, you've got, you can save this podcast episode or you can bookmark the page teachfortheheart.com slash accommodations. You can head back and listen to them uh, or read them again real quick to remind yourself and try another one. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Alex. This was so helpful. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you found this interview helpful and were able to take away a few ideas that you can implement in your classroom to help your struggling learners. And if you'd like any of the notes or links or want to check out Alex's store, you can do all of that at teachfortheheart.com slash accommodations. One of the final thing before we go, if you are enjoying this podcast and finding it helpful, you can do us a huge favor by simply sharing it with a friend. Tell a friend or colleague about the podcast or send them to teachfortheheart.com slash podcast for more details. And that just helps us spread the word to be able to encourage and support more teachers. Thank you guys so much for being here. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. In the meantime, keep growing, keep striving. You really are making a difference.